0: And uh, we, Nikki and I are so thankful for this, for this church and all, all that you've done for us. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about that tomorrow night when I give our presentation. And I'll show you some photos of uh, the Ukrainian family that you've helped us to, uh, to take in and, and take care of and some different things that you've done. You've done a lot of things for us. And we've been in this together. So uh, we'll we'll speak about that uh, more tomorrow night. But tonight we're going to talk about evangelism, bringing the gospel to the people around you in in Rockford and in the Rockford area. Um, I'm really glad for the opportunity to talk about this subject because doing this, what we're doing tonight, is part of the key to being an evangelistic church. And I'll tell you what I mean by that later. But I have three points tonight. The first are very quick. The third point is the main thing we're going to talk about tonight. The first point is that evangelism in the local church is not automatic. And the second is that evangelism is at the heart of who we are as a church. And the third is that evangelism is something we can do better. Okay? Evangelism is not automatic. It's at the heart of who we are and it's something we can do better. All right. First of all, evangelism in the local church is not automatic. Um, that's why I like this meeting. No, no church is an evangelistic church without striving and struggling to give to evangelism attention. To give attention to how, this question. How are we going to bring the gospel to the people around us in a better way? Giving that question attention and talking about it and discussing it and praying over it and and struggling with it and, and is is a part of uh, of this process of becoming an an evangelistic church. It's not automatic. Evangelism is the cutting edge of our calling as a church, and it's the cutting edge of the spiritual warfare that we we're involved in, bringing the gospel to the world. And so, of course, it's not just going to happen automatically that we become a fruitfully evangelistic church. Where evangelism is not an open subject of discussion in a local church, in that local church evangelism is already dying. So it's an open discussion tonight and that means that evangelism is a hot topic for you guys. It's still alive. When nobody's talking about it, it's because we're not really doing it much and we're not seeking for new ways to do it. Second point, evangelism is at the heart of who we are. I'm not going to say much about this, but um, I hope we're all absolutely convinced about this. Do you remember in 1 Peter 2 and 9, Peter says that you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may, that you might, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter's defining our identity as a church, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you. So it's it's who we are, isn't it? I mean, how can we How could we exist as a church, a lampstand? We're called the lampstand in the book of Revelation. Well, that's our identity is we're we're something to give light to other people so they can come to Christ. So the church, the local church that does not evangelize will fossilize. And that's always true. Always absolutely true. So now we come to the third point and the point of our meeting tonight. And uh, that is evangelism is something that we can learn to do better. And so we're going to talk about uh, some how-tos, but of course you understand it's a very spiritual matter and it's just not a matter of how-tos. It's a matter of great prayer and waiting upon God and seeking God and being people who are filled with the Spirit. Uh, every, all our following Jesus makes us what we are as evangelists. Okay, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, so all of our following Jesus goes into becoming a witness for Jesus. But we want to talk a bit about the how-tos tonight. How do we, young people, how do you, if you're, if you're a believer tonight, how do you bring the gospel to your, your classmates? How do you tell them? How do you start a conversation about Jesus? Um, in your neighborhoods, parents, how do you, How do you do it with your neighbors or or at work? So, the first thing we want to say is that there are two types of evangelism that every local church must carry out. There are two types of evangelism. And for that, if you want to look at Colossians 4, chapter chapter 4, uh, verses 2 to 6, uh, we'll see these two types of evangelism in this passage. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, and uh, I'll just read it out of the... um, I've got the ESV with me tonight. Colossians 4, and we're reading from verse 2. Paul says to the church, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Now, who's the us? That's Paul and his missionary colleagues. So he's talking out people who are sort of vocational witnesses for Jesus. Okay, that's not everybody. That's a special group, okay? So pray for us that God may open to us a door for the Word, a door for witness, to declare the mystery of Christ on on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now that's the first kind of evangelism. It's the kind of evangelism that... um, that certain gifted, specially gifted people do. All right? And we'll call it proactive evangelism to unknown people or the wider community. All right? There's a sort of a planned, proactive evangelism that your church should do to people you don't even know. Okay? And to the wider community here. All right? And for Paul and his Colleagues that was going into the marketplace and preaching and out in wherever they could wherever they could do that and uh, they uh, yeah that was that was a great part of their mission but continue the passage he says now he's going to talk about them and their type of evangelism a different type of evangelism the evangelism of the normal church member who's not a called evangelist or apostle or or pastor or preacher. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward non-Christians, making the best use of the time. let your speech to these non-Christians always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, each outsider, each non-Christian. So another type of evangelism is what we'll call friendship evangelism. And that's the kind of evangelism where you are taking opportunity as the lord gives you a chance to to say something about christ informally to your uh, to your friends to your work colleagues and to your neighbors so we see that those two different sorts of evangelism and and both both should be happening okay now let's talk about the planned proactive evangelism to people we don't even know or to the, to the wider community all right and I wanna, I wanna ask, uh, just a few questions about it. And here are the questions. What does it look like? Who does it? How do we plan it? And what are the next steps that this church can take for that sort of evangelism? Okay? What does it look like? Who does it? How do we plan it? And what are the next steps that your church can take in this sort of evangelism? Alright. What does it look like? First of all, We'll never reach everybody, neither this church nor all the churches in Rockford, you'll never reach everybody in Rockford if all the Christians in Rockford do is share the gospel with friendship evangelism. Because there are some people in Rockford that don't have any friendships with with, uh, born-again believers. So we must have some of this proactive, planned evangelism to people we don't know. We don't have any contacts, so we're going to go find them, all right? Um, We've got to have some ways to contact people out of your natural circle of acquaintances. Does that make sense? All right. And so what does it look like? Let me give you a few examples. And we've used all of these in France. Um, Some are more effective than others. Some you might not ever use, and some you might. Um, there's, first of all, door-to-door contact or other what I call cold turkey contact evangelism. Just going up to somebody at a park and trying to share the gospel with them. Now, uh, not all people are, are, are gifted at that sort of evangelism. I know some dear Christians that can really share the gospel with their friends, but they, they just can't. They can't. Uh, that's, that's not their gift. They're not, they wouldn't be good at all at that. They'd fall flat on their face. But there are people that can do this. And there are people who don't think they can do it who could do it. <laughs> but um, we've done different sort of things like this. Um, at one time we um, we gave out some little uh, photo albums about this big with some strange photos, very different photos. Um, of someone looking like this. Just someone jumping for joy of different things. And we went out to a park, and um, we were two by two, and we 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 asked people, "Could, could I show you uh, some of these photos, and you just tell me which one represents most your what what sort of a mood you're in and state of mind you're in right now in your life?" And so um, that led to a, a few interesting conversations, um, but you know you can be you can be creative and do things. Um, uh, but that's that 's one way it's it 's one of the ways that uh, perhaps is the most difficult of all to do evangelism but but it 's a possibility also then there are evangelistic bible studies that the church can publicize you can uh, you can print up hundreds even thousands of flyers and put them out in the in the in the neighborhoods of the community and uh, let the community know that you do a six-week Discovering Christianity Bible study and explain it a little bit in the flyer and tell people and invite them to come to the first session, which will be on such and such a time. Uh, And I'm going to talk more about evangelistic Bible studies at the very end because this has been uh, the most effective thing that we've used. But that's another way that you can get to people that you don't yet know and invite them in. You can do a Bible, Bible, and, and Christian book stand in in uh, fairs and open air markets. Sometimes in in different cities and towns, there are there are fairs and expositions and markets. I know our church in, in Fayetteville, Georgia, uh, does a stand regularly when there's a an annual fair in town, an open air fair. Um, I I had a stand for a couple of years in one of the cities we were in France and gave out hundreds of pieces of literature to people in that way and talked to folks. So uh, it would be interesting to find out, are there any such things like that where you could ask for permission for whoever sets up that fair or that market? Um, Could could our church have a stand? Um, And you could do it in whatever way uh, they'd let you. Um, if you have to sell something, then sell Christian books to get into that to get there um, uh but that's an interesting thing and and it makes you very visible. people see uh, uh grace baptist church uh and uh they get you, you meet people you you get some conversations you can get some literature out to people that way so that's an interesting thing. You can also have special evangelistic uh, meetings in the church. We often do it on a Friday night. We like to do it on a Friday night because we try it every other night, and Friday works best in France. (laughs) Uh, People are free. Uh, They don't have anything the next day. If you invite them long enough in advance and the topic's interesting, people will come. We've had numerous, numerous people come to to, uh, these meetings. Let me give you a few topics. And we choose our topics carefully to try to get people who are really unchurched uh, to come. Here's some examples of conferences that we've done. Is there a meaning to life? All right, that, that rings a bell with a lot of people. And you can, we, when we do these things, we, we give out hundreds of flyers. Uh, we we put them we put them in mailboxes. If you can't put them in mailboxes in America, if it's not legal to open someone's mailbox, you can put it on their doorstep or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, we get out we get out tons and tons of flyers. Uh, we explain a little bit about the conference just to uh, make people interested, and uh, maybe give a famous quote from somebody that would relate to me. Is, is there a meaning in life? And uh, so we do things like that. And that. Another one we had was on, can God exist in a world so full of evil and suffering? So we've done that several times. And um, that one has brought, uh, tended to, to bring uh, more people than, than some other topics. And that's a, that's, a, that's a big objection to the Christian faith. So it's an important topic to, um, to address. We, a couple times uh, we've done uh, one by this topic, What I Believe, Is It Really Important? What I Believe, Is It Really Important? And um, tried to show people that everybody has beliefs. Everybody has certain beliefs about the world, the future, what man is, what the problem with man is, and does it matter what I believe? And we show how it really matters what you believe about certain things. Uh, and then we'd bring that to the gospel. Um, another one we did was, do all religions have the same basic message? And we compared um, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, looking at about four major points. Um, who is the God or creator of existence? Um, what is man? What is man? Um, what is man's problem and what is the solution to man's problem. I think we also did, what is the future like? And we compared them and people were absolutely astounded at how completely contradictory these four religions are about those basic, basic things. Um, Then we've, we've done a few times one on the Bible, Word of God or Word of Man. And this is a, a conference on, a lot of it is on archaeology. And we show how um, the Bible um, uh, is, is historically true, that it's uh, trustworthy, and um, how it's been preserved over the centuries, and, and we deal with those sorts of things. And that also has really surprised people, um, What about this one? What happens after death? Or the Protestant Reformation? What was that all about? The fifth, five hundredth anniversary of of the Protestant Reformation. We did, we did uh, on this topic. Um, You could think about others. We haven't done one on this, but you could think of, you could try maybe a conference on evolution and bring someone in who's a good speaker on that, but make it. An evangelistic co- conference for non, for um, unchurched people. Not for the Christians, but, but to say, you know, and you could put it in such a way that they, they might be interested. Okay, so that's special evangelistic meetings. Um, other ideas. Um, one church that we visited on this trip in California does a food bank. So, uh, they, uh, once a month, they they give people a, a sack of groceries and they have uh, probably about 100 people show up on a Saturday morning and they're able to, uh, to minister to those people and actually give them some gospel literature or talk to them. Uh, those are also ways. There's also the idea of a Bible exposition. Uh, in some churches, um, they... They set up a Bible exposition. You can find Christian ministries that do this, that um, that have big panels with with really nice um, uh, photos and images and texts that talk all about the Bible and how it was written and and what it is and those sorts of things. There are all sorts of ideas that uh, that you could do, but um, the thing is. That Behind all of this, we're trying to uh, reach into the unchurched community and uh, to to provide something, some way to, to make to make contact with them, even if we're not going to bring some of them are almost pre-evangelism. Uh, we might not be saying everything we want to say that for that one that one meeting, but at least we're, we're, we're coming part of the way with these people. So we've tried to do these sort of um, evangelistic conferences uh, three times a year uh, in our church. Uh, and one, one good thing about it is it mobilizes the whole church uh, because we're really encouraging our people, invite your non-Christian friends, talk to them and give them a flyer, invite them, and it depends on you, you know. So, uh, so it, it is something that everyone can participate on. So, okay, we're talking, we've talked about what does it look like, this proactive planned evangelism, and um, who does it? Well, obviously not every member has the same gifts and abilities to go door to door or to to hold a uh, discovering Christianity Bible study in their home or uh, man a stand in a fair market. But a lot of people in the church could do something in, in those activities. They could help out in some way. Um, and uh, everyone could, could do something just about. So uh, but some of, the, uh, some of those things depend on you know, what your gift is. and I'm saying that to, to make us realize that evangelism some parts of evangelism isn't every person in the church can do this and must do this and you've got to feel guilty if you're not doing it. Okay? No, no, no. Okay? There's some things that are uh, that are activities that people are gifted for. But, um, but we all work together behind them. How do we plan these things? These special events and, and ways of going out to people we've never even met. I've found in our experience that it's vital that the whole church be involved in discussion on evangelism at times. Um, what we do is we try to have occasional brainstorming meetings in our church for evangelism. We ask everybody who wants you to come and we say, Okay, what's your ideas? What can we do better or different or redo that we've done in the past to reach our community? And one of the guys will... Have sticky notes and he stick them up on a whiteboard, and we'll have all these ideas that people are giving, and then we'll put them in groups and we'll talk about them and and, uh, decide on two or three. So the reason I say that is because if you if you just wait on your 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 leadership, it's not it's it's not fair to them. They can't have all the ideas. You guys are gifted and that God puts ideas in your hearts and your minds, and ideas have got to surge up from the body. Hey, I have an idea of something we might be able to do as a church. And don't worry if your idea isn't accepted. Um, it's still good. It's still good that it's coming up, and uh, it might not be done this time. It might be done later, or that we might, the church might modify the Lud a little bit and do it. But um, we found it a really good thing to have all our people in on discussions just brainstorming and just have an hour one evening or one. uh, the prayer meeting was set aside for for brainstorming on evangelism. And um, that's just, it's great for all of us because it gets us thinking. And uh, yeah, so then of course the church leadership has got to take all that stuff that you bring and has got to pray over it and think over it and think about what gifts do we have, who can we invite to help us. And how could we do such and such? I was in a church in New Jersey uh, on a trip, and this church had invited a, a street evangelist from Florida to come up and preach the gospel in the subway. And so I was with them. We were in the subway, and this guy was pretty. I'm sure I don't think they had anybody in their in their church who could do this sort of street evangelism. They they brought somebody from far away. He was good at it and we had we had all sort of people around listening and then after it was over all of us guys Christians in the in the in the crowd we just sort of turned to somebody and say what do you think of what you just heard do you have any questions and uh you know you can you can do things like that um but um yeah the the church leadership has to go back and say what gifts do we have? What, what what abilities do we have? What means do we have to do this? How can we do this? Out of all the ideas, where, where are the one or two or three that we could try to focus on this year? So that's the way we've, we've tried to do it. The last question is, uh, so we've talked about what does it look like? Who does it? How do we plan it? Uh, and you might not plan it the way I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm just throwing out ideas and Please stop me if you want to and add something or whatever. But uh, what next steps can can we take in this sort of evangelism? Well, I've sort of said it already, but I would say, um, yeah, as a church, have a time of discussion. Um, decide on one or two avenues to pursue and ask yourself what's the – the leaders will lead you in this. What's the first or couple steps we need to take? And uh, assign some people to get on the task. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a stall at a market, assign a couple people to get on internet, go to the mayor's office and find out are there any fairs or open air markets? Um, would you Would you allow a church to have a stand in the in the fair? And you know, you, you just say which which ones do we want to do? What's the first step to take and get some people going on it? Yeah. So, um, and make it a subject of concerted prayer. So, okay. Now, I want to set aside that sort of evangelism, which is the proactive, planned evangelism that we're trying to reach new people that we don't know. And I want to talk now for the rest of our time about friendship evangelism. And for most of you here, um, this will be, uh, you're going, okay, good, now I want to listen to this. Um for, uh, uh, the questions I want to ask about this are simply, how important is it, friendship evangelism, can any Christian do it, and what do I need to be able to do it, okay? How important is it, can any Christian do it, what do I need in order to do it? All right, how important is it? In my opinion, uh, friendship evangelism is the most important of all the means of... uh of evangelism in a typical local church like this today Um, in America. I would not be saying that if I was in Africa, perhaps, but maybe I would would. Let me read you something. John Nevius was a very famous missionary in China in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He's famous because he wrote some very important books on missiology, on missions, on how to do missions, and evangelism. He was part of, a, uh, of the first evangelism in China, the first people to ever evangelize China. And they saw tens and hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ, yeah, pretty much during, during his lifetime. Um, but here's what he says. Now, it's a little bit of a long quote, but listen to it. It is sometimes asked, what practical answer does the experience of missionaries in China for the past 40 years give to the question, which methods of work have really brought the greatest number of converts into the church? Okay, what sort of evangelism has brought the most Chinese people into the church? He goes on, he says, The conventional modes of evangelistic work which sum up the labors of missionaries as reported each year, To the home societies are, and he's going to tell the types of evangelism they did for 40 years: Bible distribution, track distribution, chapel preaching, translating and bookmaking, so literature, schools, so they set up Christian schools and they brought non-Christians in, and itinerations. Itinerations is a way of talking, going to place to place and preaching in the in the open air. Okay, he's not through. Listen to this. The question is, to which of these different modes of work is the conversion of the about 30,000... Okay, so I exaggerated. uh Uh-oh. 30,000 Protestant Christians of China to be mainly traced. I thought it was hundreds. I'm glad he corrected me. But anyway, sorry. (laughs) I'm disposed to think that the number of conversions due to each would be found to increase about in the order in which they are mentioned above. So let me say it again. Bible distribution... Track distribution, more came that way. Chapel preaching, more. Translating and bookmaking, more. Schools, more. Itinerations, most. But most, he's going to tell him more than all of those. Listen. He says, uh, and that the number traceable to them all, all those methods, together, put it all together, would be but a small fraction of the whole and that by far the greater proportion is to be referred to private social Intercourse. That means friendship, evangelism. <laughs> he says way more people come to Christ just by friends, people like you, talking to their friends and acquaintances than preaching in the open air, giving books, giving literature, doing Christian schools or anything else. All right. my second, So that's the question of how important is it. It's extremely important. Uh, Secondly, can any Christian do it? Yes. <laughs> if you understand it, yes, any Christian can do it. Let me give you two examples. First example is a man who was just converted and never got any training to do evangelism and went he evangelized his town. Okay, listen to this. He had a legion of demons in him. Jesus delivered him from a legion of demons. And here's what Luke says the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. So he wanted to become one of the apostles. He wanted to become a preacher. Uh, But Jesus sent him away saying return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now you see he didn't know much at all. He didn't know hardly any theology, but he did know one thing. I know how much Jesus has done for me. And that you can tell somebody else. And the rest you can say, my my preacher will tell you the rest. <laughs> okay? You really can. You, can. you can tell as much as you know. And when someone says, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You can say, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you to see my, my friend or my, my pastor or someone else, and they can help. So don't ever think that you have to be, you know, a theologian uh, to share the gospel. You just, you can tell as much as you know. I'm going to talk about being trained in a, mo- in a moment to do it better. I'll give you another example. Remember the Samaritan woman? So Jesus talks to her, and uh, she gets converted that day. And she goes back to her village. At least it seems like she's converted. But listen to what John says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. You know what that testimony was? Here's a man who told me all that I ever did. That's not very complicated evangelistic message. But it was enough to get the people to come out of the village and go find Jesus. And you can tell enough about Jesus So that people will want to um, read the Bible or hear more about him and find him. So can any Christian do it? Yes, you can do it. Now, here's what I wanted to get to tonight. What do you need in order to to do friendship evangelism? The first thing you need is you need, you really need regular social contact with non-Christian people. Regular social contact with non-Christian people. Jesus said that we're to be in the world, but not of it. And the difficulty for many evangelical Christians is they're not in the world anymore, really. Not very much. They sort of go out to work and come back. But that's not really being in the world. Um, Often there's no significant transmission of the gospel possible Unless people see the gospel in your life as well as hearing it. Um, one time we had uh, befriended a couple that had children in the same public school as ours. The lady was named Fabienne. And I remember the time that she was talking to Nikki and just broke down weeping. And she said to Nikki, uh, the reason she was crying was she wanted what we had. She wanted what we had. But, you see, she saw that we had something first. And you can't see that unless you get close enough to a person in a friendship to say more than, hello, how are you doing? Fine. You have to have a friendship that goes somewhere, that goes a little bit deeper. And that person really knows you now, and they see, and they ask for the reason, for the hope that's within you. So, um You know, people need a safe friend to hear a dangerous message. And the gospel is a dangerous message for (laughs) non-Christians because they're going to have to leave the world they're in and join a better world. But they need a safe friend to tell them a dangerous message. And that means that sometimes before we can tell them a message, we've got to gain their confidence. And uh, by, by loving them and knowing them and them knowing us, and then they they find out that pretty soon that we're a Christian. And uh, they realize, no, oh, it's safe to have a Christian friend. This person's not cramming this down my throat. And, uh, and then we, we have opportunities to speak to them eventually. So you've got to strive to have friendships, significant friendships with non-Christians. And I tell this to our church over and over again. And and you know, if you're there and you say, Wow, all my all my friends are Christians today, that's okay. You can change that. It's not irreversible. And it's easy to happen in America. And it's so the fellowship is so good with your Christian friends in the church, and it's so easy to just gravitate toward and have exclusive exclusively friendships with Christians after a while, after you've been a Christian a while. But you can't. You don't have the right. And you must work against that never being the case in your life. Nikki and I work against that. And, and uh, we, uh, we constantly are, are, are working on friendships with non-Christian friends. And our non-Christian friends, I mean, they are totally unchurched. They know nothing about Christianity. And we spend lots of time with them. We have them over to eat and they have us over. And, and we have non-Christian friends that want to take us on vacation with them in the summer to their, their summer house and all sorts of things. But you must, uh, uh, you must develop those friendships. How do you know when you have a significant friendship with a non-Christian? Now just try to think. I know you young people, if you're in the public schools that you do, but what about the others? And what about if you're a homeschool kid? Do you have some significant friendships with non-Christians and you adults? How do you know if you have a significant friendship with a non-Christian? Well, one way is that you socialize frequently together. That means you either go play tennis together or do something together or go on walks together or you, you go have a coffee together or you eat at each other's house together, or you go to a restaurant together, if you're doing that sort of thing more than once with a non-Christian, you're developing a significant friendship with him. And if you're not, you probably don't have a significant friendship with him. So this is where you want to get to. And Nikki and I, our our dining room table is our most important evangelistic tool. We're always having non-Christian people over to eat with us in our home. Um, you can also know that you have a significant uh, friendship with a non-Christian when they can see the positive difference that Christ makes in your life. But if they don't know you well enough to see the difference in your life, they don't know you well enough. Okay? Okay because really honestly a, a non church person if you're their friend they should once they get to know you well enough they're going to know wow that person is really different than my than my other church friends but they've got to get to, you, to know you that well um, one day um, we had um, we had a church family and a non christian family over to eat And we like to do that a lot. Once we've had a non-Christian family over a couple of times and have gotten to know them, they're our friends, we like to try to invite a Christian family and them over so that they know more Christians than than just us. And we try to think of what family would really get on with these guys. Um, Since we know a little bit about them as as people now, we say, oh, yeah, they like the same thing. Uh, So we try to get... So we had this this meal together, and... um, so we were three families and we all had our children as well. So there were some older teenage children in that. And the next day, um, the non-Christian guy um, called um, called the Christian fellow who we just met and um, he said, I just couldn't believe that meal yesterday. It, just, it was just un-incredible. For us it was just what what happened? We didn't see anything. It's a normal meal. It's the way we always were. Uh, uh, And the non-Christian guy said to the Christian guy, well, you know, when when I'm with my unchurched friends, somebody says, well, I did did such and such. The next guy says, well, I did such and such twice as much. And the other guy says, well, I did it upside down. And, you know, know, they're always fighting to be the best, and I know this and I know that. And uh, he said, when we were together with you guys, even the teenagers were asking us questions about ourselves and wanting to know us, to know who we were. I've never seen that in my life. So you see, if you get people close enough to you, um, they're just going to see the gospel and its impact. But this guy would have never known that there's something that changes people's lives unless he had had that, that, that meal with us. So... You don't even know what impact you're having on non Christian people if you'll just get close enough to them so um, I just want to encourage all of you to all the couples to sit down afterwards and say, "What can we do about this how can if you if you don't have those significant friendships with non christians say um, you know, how can we go about this? And just start praying about it. Prayer has to be the big thing. God will open up some doors. Um, maybe we can invite the neighbors over or maybe brainstorm about a little bit and say, Lord, help us from today to start working on develop, having a few significant non-friendships with non-Christians. Let me just say that, that to make those friendships, you've got to overcome certain obstacles. To make those friendships, you've got to overcome certain obstacles as, as Christians in America today. Uh, um, the problem that if you've been a Christian a long time would be a lack of natural avenues for contact with non-Christians. You may not have those natural avenues so much in, anymore that you, you spend a lot of time with Christians. And uh, I learned to climb walls, to be a wall climber in order to develop a friendship with a non-Christian man. And he's now he got converted. He's now an elder of the church we planted in Grenoble. But um, that was scary. But as far as I could see, this is the only way I could get to know this guy. He loves to climb walls, and on Friday nights, that's what he's doing. So I'm going to have to learn to climb walls. So uh, when I got up to the top of the wall, it's a gym, so the wall is really high, and I, I, he's got the rope. He's got to let me down. And he says, let go. <laughs> I just couldn't let go. I just couldn't let go. So I was sort of, no, 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 let go. So finally I just let go. And, you know, he has a little, if you've never done this, he has a little steel thing and the, 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 the rope feeds through that. And he just let me down nice and soft. And I landed and I turned to him and I said, Christoph, that's what I've been trying to tell you about what faith is. <laughs> you know, when I let go, it was you or nothing. And that's that's what it that's what the gospel means about trusting Jesus Christ. Either he saves me or I'm damned. So, uh so yeah, um you know, you can if you like sports, that's a great way to to meet non-Christians. Um there are clubs, there are associations, there are, there are different ways to do it. But there are ways. Uh a lot of people like to play pickleball in the states now. Does anybody play that here? That's uh evidently it's a, it's, it's a way that a lot of people are meeting meeting people and socializing now with pickleball, whatever whatever I've never seen it played, but uh anyway. So whatever the way is, uh you know, do do what you can to ha- to develop some natural avenues that will put you together with non-Christians. Um, Nikki and I tried to always be part of the, parents, um, it'd be sort of like the, I don't know, the PTA, does that exist in state still? Yeah, um, we always tried to be, uh, part of that, to, to to meet parents and stuff, uh, uh, but there, there are ways to do these things. Um. I'm talking about the fact that you've got to overcome some obstacles and one of them was the natural avenues to have contact with non-Christians. Another one would be the inability to accept non-Christians with their non-Christian behavior. Now, this was the big problem with the Pharisees. They just could not... Jesus could go eat with prostitutes and tax gatherers who had rejected the the faith uh, and who were who were dishonest and and that Jesus could could go and eat with them and fraternize with them, but the Pharisees just found them, they're just unclean for the Pharisees. Um, The Pharisees were too judgmental. They were too shocked by sinful behavior. They were too lacking in grace to accept people where they're at and and befriend them. Um, In a church that we were at on our trip this time, on the way here, um, a man came up to me after the service. He was a brand new convert. He was this unbelievably muscly guy. He had a tank top on and his arms were about the size of my legs. He was just full of muscles and tattoos. And, uh, so, so someone introduced me to him and I was at, he told me he'd been in the, in the armed services and I asked him which one and, and talked to him a little bit. And the guy who introduced me, as soon as I got through talking with him, he sort of pulled me aside and said, yeah, 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 I told him that, yeah, you, you shouldn't really wear that tank top to church. It was Sunday evening, so everybody was informal, you know. But he was in a tank top, and yeah, you shouldn't really wear that. You don't, you don't need to show your muscles off to everybody. And, um, yeah, I thought to myself, um, you know, I would have just let him wear the tank top for a while. Give him a few give him a few, a couple of months he'll figure it out if he's just been converted and um after that, you know one of the guys will one of the guys will tell him you know, <laughs> somebody's gonna bring those things work themselves out and he he actually apologized to me for the guy's tattoos, so I would say one out of two people in France have tattoos um Similarly, most people don't have, most people, uh, you know, very few people, don't, uh, you know, if you don't have a tattoo, you're in the minority. I'm not defending tattoos, um, especially covering your whole body with those things. I'm not, I'm not saying that's good or anything. But I guess I'm just saying that, um, you know, non-Christians are going to be non-Christians. We've got to let them be non-Christians and love them. Love, the, love them with their tattoos. And when a non Christian friend comes up to me and and shows me he's got a, he's got a new tattoo, I say, "Ah, let me see what is it That's my reaction <laughs> I want to be interested uh, you want to put something what did you want to put on his arm what does it say something? Does it mean something? I want to know you know so we we need to try to not be shocked by um by behavior that we don't see in our church um some of it's some of it's cultural, um, some of it may have a sinful basis below it, but we don't we don't have to worry about it when people come to know the gospel and come to know Christ. He straightens out he straightens out everything that would be sinful in their lives. I don't worry about nose rings, i don't worry about tattoos uh, you know i I'm looking straight into the soul of the person you know so we need we need to work on that and be no one is unclean to us. There are unclean behaviors, um, but but we can love people who have those behaviors. Um, some good non-Christian friends of ours who we're, we spend a lot of time with, um, really a lot of time, um, their daughter who's living with them has just um, uh, begun to uh, have a... Uh, homosexual relationship with another young woman, and, and so they both the, the girls live together in the bedroom in their ha- in the parents' house that are our friends, and um, you know when when we when they didn't say it outright, but they told us enough that we'd understand, and um, our hearts inside we were oh we were so sad because we know this girl very well. And Nikki's spent a lot of time with her and taught her English and, and stuff. And we are were, we were crestfallen for her. But it's not going to change anything in the way we, Lord willing, in the way we relate to this family. Uh, and, and when we get the chance, we'll, we'll, we'll in a loving way, uh, you know, speak to that issue. But, um, uh, yeah, if we're going to have relationships with non-Christians today, we can't be easily shockable. We just can't. And, uh, yeah. Okay, so um, we need to work on common ground, developing common ground around which to build a friendship. There are some Christians in America today that, that just don't have any common ground. Even if they did spend time and make contact with non Christians, they don't watch the news, they don't know, know much about current sports, politics, literature, secular music, secular thought. They're stuck in a non-Christian subculture, really stuck, totally in a non-Christian subculture. And and uh, it makes it really, really difficult to make friendships with non-Christians. So we need to be careful about that. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, knew the pagan poets and philosophers that the Athenians read. We know because he quoted them more than once. He was He read them. He knew them. Now there's some things we don't want to know. We're not gonna to want to know about about uh ungodly society. But um I was in a train in June and I was going up to Brussels and um a young man was next to me and uh I was as I often do praying for an opportunity to share the gospel if God would see fit to do so and uh I saw that he had a book on his on on his tray we had these pull-down trays. Uh, by, I think it was by Herman Melville. It was in English. He's a, obviously a, a Belgian or a Frenchman. And um, so the way I the way I approach things is I just try to be interested in people. And I, I don't ever go into a situation like that saying, "I want to witness to you. I want to witness to this guy." I go into it saying, "I want to love this guy and be interested in it." And it usually ends up with being able to talk to them. But I, I said I said to him in French. Of course, we're talking in French. I said, hmm, "Herman Melville, are you are your student?" And so we began to talk and talk. And then he began to just tell me about himself. And he said, "My father died six weeks ago, and um, uh, I I lost my relationship with my father for years. I wouldn't I wouldn't speak to him. We fell out with one another, and it was terrible. And." Um, and a couple of years ago, we repatched we, we, we it up. And I'm so glad now because he, he died six years ago. And um, I don't know if he touched the touchpad on his computer or if I hadn't noticed, but I looked over there on his screen, and he had something about the apostles and Easter and that. And I said, what is, what is this on your screen? And uh, he, he's not a guy who went to church. But he's a sculptor. He was in the south of France for a special exposition of his sculpture. And uh, he was writing something uh, to his family for some family thing. And his his parents had been, I think they had been Catholic. Uh, at one point in their lives, they had stopped attending church also. But, but yeah, then I just went into the Gospel and explained it to him. And uh, I said... Let, can I suggest a couple things for you to read since you're a reader? He grabbed his notebook and he said, "Would you write them down here?" And you know it's just um uh, being able to have a point of contact now I didn't know that book by Herman Melville, um, but I knew who Herman Melville was because he wrote Moby Dick. <laughs> so it's good for us to 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 list, listen to the news um to, to read good literature um, that's not written by Christians, to keep up with some sports, to have a favorite sport. There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's good. Uh, it opens up doors to talk to people and to make sure that we're not, um, that we know something about current thought and uh, the way non-Christians think and to not get stuck in a total non-Christian uh, uh, subculture. Um, on that, on that line, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just go on. Now, I want to close up with just, um, let me find out where, where I'm at on this. So I've told you that we need to have regular social contact with non-Christians. And then we need to know what to say, what to give, and where to go from there. And this won't take that long. We need to know what to say. Now, I told you that you could just say the minimum about what Jesus has done for you and give your testimony. But even that, you can be taught to give your testimony in a better way. Um, Here's what I was like and thought before. Here's how I came to hear about the gospel and understand the gospel. And here's how it's changed me. If you can tell somebody in those three parts, it helps them to identify um, and you can get some, some help in, in knowing how to do that better. But um, you need to know the four points of the gospel, and you need to know how to explain them. What are the four points of the gospel? Well, the first point, what does someone need to know first about the gospel? God. <laughs> of course, where do you start? you God. And um, they, that's where Paul starts with the Athenians. They were pagans, and he tells them, the sovereign God who made the heavens and the earth is like this. So so we start by telling them, you know, um, you're, you're not just here by an accident. There is a Creator God who's made you and made you for Himself. And that means that you belong to Him and He has a plan for your life. You don't belong to yourself. And then the second thing that we need to tell people about is about sin. And our problem in this world and my problem, your problem, is that we've turned away from that God, that God and that's called sin. Well, what is sin? It means living as if you didn't belong to God, but you belong to yourself. And you can explain a little bit more. You know a few verses for each point. And then you need to talk to them about the third point. That's Jesus Christ. There is a solution for this rupture in our relationship with God that we've made through sin, this broken relationship. And God has sent His Son. And we talk about who Jesus is and what He did on the cross. And the fourth point is um, responding to the gospel. How do, we, how do we become a Christian? How do we gain this eternal life? And that's repentance and faith. So we explain what repentance is and we explain what faith is. And if, if you can explain those four points, you can really explain the Gospel pretty, pretty well to someone. And I'll give you a hint. There's a book called Evangelism and Sovereignty of God by James Packer. And in the third chapter, the last half of the chapter... He says, what is the message of the gospel? And he gives the four points. And he explains them in a way that only James Packer could do. So when I train people in evangelism, in every church that we plant, we, tra- we train the Christians in evangelism. We train them to explain these four points. And I always had them read this last half of this chapter of this book. So I'll send it to Dale because I've put it in a, in a Word document. And uh, you can beef up on it, and uh, your 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 elders can help you and go through those points. And I'll talk to you, uh, I'll talk just a second about that at the very end. So you need to know what to say. You might be saying, Pastor, well, what about answering objections and questions? Yes, you can learn a little bit about that. Um, there are only a few questions that come up over and over again, and you don't need to be an expert, but there are, now we have literature, we have little booklets that have been published by Reformed authors on each one of those questions. Um, One of them is about suffering. Can God exist in such an evil world? Well, uh, someone asks you that, you say, "I've I've got a little booklet that answers that very well, and I'll give it to you. And so... For those sort of objections, you don't need to be the expert. You can, you can have literature that you can give to people, okay, on things like that. But you can, you can uh, your, your, your church leaders can train you on some of those uh, basic questions to know a uh, start of an answer so that you don't have to be fearful about it. But you can always say, uh, I'll give you something to, to answer that. Um, so that's know what to say. Now, know what to give. It's important for every person in a local church to be familiar with evangelistic literature. Very important. I make my people read evangelist, the best evangelistic brochures and tracts um, because if you don't know it, you don't give it. It's as simple as that. If you don't know it, you don't give it. If you know something, oh, that explains really well. When you've got that neighbor or that colleague at work, I know just what to give him. And different different pieces of literature will help different people. So, um, yeah, you you need to you need to know uh evangelistic literature. And uh, you know, that can be a church project. That this month, we want to ask everybody to read John Blanchard's Ultimate Questions. Uh and uh, you know, as many people as possible. It's a challenge. You don't have to do it, but we're throwing out the challenge. Uh, for six months, we're going to have you read every month an evangelistic piece of literature. Um, come to me by Tom Wells and different things and so that you know these things and you know what you can give and the church will have a stack of them ready uh, for you to take when you need them. Um, the last thing is know where to go from there. Once you've talked to someone and once you've given them some literature, uh, sometimes you <laughs> go, now what do I do? They haven't become a Christian yet. And I've still got this friendship and I still see them. And occasionally we talk and how can I take them further? Well, after the initial conversation or two or three that you have, there's several things you can do. Number one, you can do a, what we call a one-to-one reading through the gospel. Um I, I encourage people to invite their non-Christian friend that's a little bit interested. Hey, would you like to read through the Gospel of John with me? And so maybe at lunch at work we'll just read 10 minutes every 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 Friday at lunch and we'll just try to make it through a little bit of the Gospel of John. And uh if you if you if you have a question or if you've got a time when you could have maybe even 20 or 30 minutes, uh, the person can ask you questions and just Just read through the Gospel of John. You don't have to know everything about the Gospel of John, but just read through it with the person. And uh, the things you don't, you can't answer the questions, tell them, I'll come back, I'll get the answer and come back to you. So that's a nice thing to do with people. And in in Europe, this is a way that people are using a lot to evangelize, is inviting someone to read a Gospel with them. Um, Another thing you can do to bring them further is invite them to a Discovering Christianity Bible study I call it that. Um, some people call it exploring Christianity Bible study or explaining Christianity Bible studies. I'll talk about that at the end. Or you could invite them to a special meeting. And if your church is having two or three special evangelistic meetings every year, you've got it. You've got a way to go farther with them. Okay? You plug them into one of those meetings. Um, another thing I do is, um, if I want to go further, like I told you, is I invite them to dinner with some other Christian friends because I want to enlarge the circle of Christians they know. And uh, that's another way to help them out more. And um, and then, of course, you can invite them to a Sunday service. So you can see there are lots of things that you can do to bring them a little bit farther. Now let me end by telling you just what we did recently. So we, uh, I did a series of four messages on these four points of the Gospel. And I told our people... Um, Some of you aren't Christians yet or don't know if you really are. So listen closely to these messages. But you Christians, I'm preaching them for you too because I want you to understand how to share the gospel with your friends. So I tried not to make it too complicated because after all, I'm trying to give them something they can do, not something so complicated that nobody can do it. So I tried to preach simple messages on God, sin, Jesus, and repentance and faith. At the end of the last message, I I had a pile of John Blanchard's ultimate questions, which is a brochure of about 30 pages, very well done, nice photos and pictures. And I said, okay, all of you have to go home and read this, and I want you to find the four points of the gospel in this brochure, because he does it according to these four points. Okay? Now, after you've read it and found the four points, I want you to pray for three weeks. Lord, who can I get, what non-Christian can I give this to? And then give it to a non-Christian friend. Wait about three weeks, and then go back and ask that person two questions. Did you have a chance to read what I gave you? Question one. Question two, what did you think? Anybody can do that. So they all did it. And we had 11 non-Christians that wanted to be part of a Discovering Christianity Bible study. So we started it. We had 11 Christians and we had four, 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 11 non-Christians and 4 Christians around the table. Nine of those non-Christians had never been to, to church. They were totally unchurch people. Um, and uh, we started. And uh, five of them kept going a year and a half because when the six sessions were over, we did six sessions with them and uh, we stood up to say goodbye, and one of the ladies said, well, is that it? Can't we study the Bible more? And those people had never touched a Bible before. They'd never held a Bible, uh, eight or nine of, of the eleven. And so we said, sure, we can study the Bible more. We'll do a Bible study on the Gospel of John. So we did it for a year and a half, and five of the some, some of them dropped off, but five of them went through the whole year and a half with us. But that's simply from from giving everyone that brochure and saying, pray about it, give it to someone, and then go say, what did you think? Would you like to come to a, to a study where we eat together first? Everyone likes to eat. We, we'll have a little meal together and then for an hour and 15 minutes we'll, uh, we'll study the Bible in a discussion format. Uh, I don't teach. I just come and ask questions. And I make them say out of that passage, what, what do we learn about who Jesus is in this passage? And they have to, they have to tell. And uh, so it's all, it's all discussion, and, uh, which makes it kind of interesting at times. Uh, when we talked about the first miracle, and I said, why, why did Jesus change water to wine as the first miracle? Why do you think? One lady said very sincerely, well, I think it's because he didn't know if he could do it, so he wanted to do an easy one at first. <laughs> So, so, okay, that's it. Now, I don't know, Dale, do we have time for a question or two? Okay.